0: My name is Heather Safely. I'm one of the geriatric clinical pharmacy faculty. Um, I practice in the nursing home and at the Alpha Geriatric Care Center in Oakmont. And I will get to see the medical residents on their third year rotation dairy and also as a Smith Pot. So Miss Lillows uh, the it Canterbury if you have any questions along the way. So this is part of our bread and butter series. So I have nothing to disclose. And because these bread and butter lectures are kind of intended to be podcast-like, I thought that I would share two of my favorite podcasts. So Jerry Powell and Amda on the go. Anyone ever heard of them? Um, So definitely check them out. Jerry Powell is done through the American Geriatric Society. Uh, Two geriatricians, Eric Koldera and Ken Kisminsky, um, put those on. And the only other thing to disclose is that we're super cool in geriatrics. So this Jerry pow podcast actually turns into kind of a parody geriatric literature update at the American Geriatric Society Conference each year. So this is uh, last year um, in, in uh, Oregon, where we were. Or, yeah, And um, they have music and uh, parody to the literature update. Um, to identify clinically significant characteristics that are really important in deciding between anti therapy for patients with AFib, AFlutter, and also to name two drug-drug interactions with DOACs. Very simple slide here, we have five DOACs, uh, and I will use the term DOAC compared to NOAC. So DOAC is the preferred term through the Institute for Safe Medication Practices. NOACs is technically not Uh, the best abbreviation because it can be mistaken for no oral anticoagulant or no oral anticoagulation. So we do try to use DOAC. Um, even the guidelines use them interchangeably, um, but DOAC is preferred. We have two different mechanisms as you likely know, dabigatran being the only direct thrombin inhibitor, and then the other four all ending in S-A-B-A-N being the uh, direct factor 10. When we look to see which indications each of the drugs have, we see that riboroxaban is kind of the all-star in getting every single indication out there. That always makes me wonder why they're going for so many indications. Um, but when we look for AFib, flutter specifically, we have four agents, so dabigatran, and then riboroxaban, apixaban, and, and adoxaban. Batrixaban, uh, the newest agent on the block, is really only indicated for medical VTE prophylaxis. We just don't see that one a lot. We actually don't see the last two very often. Our focus today, like I said, will be AFib, Flutter. Uh, we have two guidelines to really look at and review. We have many other indications and very interesting, ongoing and uh, <coughs> new and evolving literature that is coming out for all of the other indications. This is definitely an area to not feel badly about, that you. Like might need to go back to micromedics, up-to-date, LexiComp, whenever you are looking for the correct dosing or drug-drug interactions. I'm constantly doing that as well because the literature is really evolving. These are the two guidelines that we'll review. So we have the 2019 AJ ACC, and Not Heart Rhythm Society update, and then we have the CHEST 2018. term, valvular versus non-valvular AFib, I feel like has kind of confused everyone over the past five to seven years. Um, it really came out with Dabigatran and was in the product labeling for that. Um, and you'll see the abbreviation and VAF. So what it does not mean is that patients who are on DOACs never have any valvular heart issues. Um, for uh, the guidelines, they specifically in patients with AFib, they need to have an absence um, of moderate to severe mitral stenosis or a mechanical heart valve. That is how they um, interpret, interpret uh, non-valcular AFib. Um, we do know that approximately 20% of the patients who were enrolled in these various trials did have That, may have, that were included in, in, in the studies, we have uh, mild mitral stenosis, mitral regurg, um, aortic stenosis, aortic regurg, and tricuspid regurge as well. However, we know that DOACs um, in those patients with some valvular disease have been shown to reduce the risk of stroke and systemic embolism, but the bleeding was really variable across the board, and those So for uh, valvular AFib, as we said, remember, moderate to severe mitral stenosis and mechanical heart valve, these are the patients, as you will see, that we are going to be avoiding doaxin. As we have here, this is part of the update from the 2019. And so for patients with mechanical heart valve, we specifically know that warfarin is going to be our drug of choice. Additionally, we have data that says to avoid Dabigatran. So that one, that one do- So mechanical heart valve, we're thinking warfarin. We're Much of the time, we're actually thinking an, an additional antiplatelet. Um, in addition to that, that's a different set of guidelines. Um, and we're definitely avoiding the bigger trend and probably the other DOASC. Maybe someone can quickly shout this out. Does anyone have a CHAD-SASC score in mind for when you're really thinking of needing to treat someone with AFib with Two? No. Okay. A couple guesses. Three? Yes. Matter of men and women? It actually does. So, um, what we have in those two sets of guidelines, they're congruent, um, we need a CHADS-BASC score greater than two in men and greater than three in women, and that buys you a DOAC or a warfarin, mm-hmm. assuming that they have no other contraindication. In men and women, who, um, I'm sorry, and men who have a chat score greater than one, women greater than two, anticoagulation or an antithrombotic may be considered. Um, and then men with a score of zero, women with one, so just really that um, score for their sex, um, we really can eliminate and not even consider antithrombotic therapy. So we have another table here, um, and this is kind of the big, split in the road, if you will, when we're needing to think, Are we kind of team DOAC for a patient, or team Warfarin for a patient. So we actually have here, with um, strength of recommendation one, level of evidence A, that DOACs are recommended over Warfarin for DOAC-eligible patients with AFib. The themes throughout all of this, as you'll see, these are patients with non valvular AFib. So these are patients that don't have any moderate to severe um, mitral stenosis and no we kind of took those off the table already and now we're just looking at everyone that doesn't have those two um, things in their history. So we have evidence that we should be choosing DOACs first. Uh, From the original phase three trials uh, we have some agents that are considered uh, non-inferior to warfarin with regard to efficacy outcomes of stroke and systemic embolism. We have some DOACs that are considered superior. And we pretty much across the board have a reduction in serious bleeding um, and intracranial hemorrhage. <coughs> so it's a big fork in the road. What do you choose for that patient? Kind of which way do you commit? So these are a few of the things that I think about whenever I'm picking an agent. I will have to say we have this new evidence. We are picking DOACs, maybe a little bit more. Um, I was like a hard holdout for continuing patients on warfarin. We manage it in our office, and it, it took me a while to kind of move over. we're looking at stroke risk, Chad, Chad's athlete risk with Hazlitt, patient preferences, um, goals of care for us, adherence, the daily BID dosing, um, you can't set it and forget it, can't forget about um, monitoring and the goals of care um, with either of these uh, classes, drug interactions, cost, I always say the trifecta is insulin inhalers and DOACs, that's bound to get any of our geriatric patients into the donut hole, those are all high cost body weight and a little bit about reversal, but anyone know, um, anyone ever here time within therapeutic range and know around how often, what percent out of a hundred, you would want someone to be therapeutic on warfarin in order for it to be worth it? Any numbers? How about more than 50% of the time? More than 60? Yeah, yeah. So we're um, actually shooting for 65 to 70% time within therapeutic range. Our goal is really to have a high time within therapeutic range and low variability. So we don't don't want uh, much change going on there. Mm -hmm. Having someone that's had an INR within range for months really is um, uh, important for us to see. We do have a tool. Um, I will kind of say here that it does have some uh, questionable clinical utility. It's not something that we actually use in practice, but I wanted to bring it up just in case it came across more than two comorbidities, um, if you are rhythm-controlled, tobacco use, and if you are non-white. Um, we actually don't have great data for this. In a recent meta-analysis from 2018, they really were not able to show that this um, had a direct connection or being able to predict uh, patients that would do well on They More patient oriented outcomes to uh, promote DOVAC. So we have the Prosper trial, which came across our daily info at um, Just briefly to kind of look at this patients over the 65 with AFib, anticholin, naive, um, recent CVA, and they actually showed that they had more time at home, about uh, 15 to 16 days more at vascular events, all-cause mortality, um, all-cause and cardiovascular readmission, decreased hemorrhagic stroke, but they did have increased GI bleed with the DOACs. Again, looking at some higher level data, um, how do we choose between any of these agents? In the green, we have more of the efficacy outcomes, and in in red-pink, we have more of the bleeding outcomes. So if we, Um, So if we look at dabigatran across the board, efficacy-wise, compared to warfarin, we see that it does prevent uh, more strokes. It has lower ischemic um, CBAs. Um, However, it does have a higher GI bleed risk. Rivaroxaban, efficacy might be comparable, um, compared to being better than warfarin, and it does have a higher (coughs) GI bleed risk. Apixaban actually has pretty decent data across the board, efficacy and safety-wise. And doxaban terrible efficacy with um, decrease in risk of, of bleeding. So fixaband kind of coming out better when we kind of take a step back and, and look at the 50,000-foot view. For dosing, I'll just briefly kind of note here um, that dosing is different based on the indication. So know the dosing for the indication. Rivaroxaban is one It is um, that, that we should consider. Although it is once daily, um, we need to think about the timing. So that is a dose-dependent effect. When we're using these higher doses in patients with AFib, if you don't have the patient take it with their meal, it's only about 66% bioavailable, compared to being nearly 100% bioavailable whenever you're taking it with food. So riboroxaban, um, as we're going through them all, the train the, the oftentimes has higher GI bleed. So I'm usually thinking about rivaroxaban and apixaban as my two work Thinking of this, although it is once daily for riparoxaban, having to take it with a meal can be a detractor. Also to note, we do need to think about hepatic impairment in calculating um, the child Q-score, B and C, so it would include more patients than we think. Anyone here at the Spark told before So I won't go into it a ton here. It's really not available in like MedCalc, but you can Google it. Um, it actually puts up side-by-side ASK and for patients with AFIB. It's really neat. It will give you tables at the end where you're able to look at the annualized risk of clotting and bleeding side-by-side um, side for any of the agents. Um, so definitely look at that. That has not been validated yet, um, but just strictly is helping you kind of put the numbers side-by-side. Side. Practical dosing considerations, renal weight and drug interactions. So renal dosing. Uh, We have lots of renal dosing for all of these agents, we really need to consider that. So what if we um, have patients that have an indication for renal dosing, but we just don't do it? Over the year or two that we have them on a DOAC, we forget to check their serum creatinine and um, they aren't really dosed as they should. So we have a study for that from 2017. Um, DOAC patients with ACIV, so with US database data, Um, They had an indication for renal dosing, but they weren't renally dosed. So we're worried about overdosing them and bleeding. Um, As you can see here, Um, overdosing up at the top. Um, And so uh, whenever we're looking at this, we're thinking overdosing, we're worried about bleeding. Um, Efficacy-wise, we saw no difference, but with bleeding, as we should be worried, um, we actually saw um, that overdosing was associated with a double risk of bleeding Mm -hmm. with no reduction in stroke. So if we forget to renal dose, we are just increasing bleeding, not really helping, if you will, um, their stroke shouldn't have, so this would be um, underdosing in this population. And Apixaban was the one that actually had the significant effects here, Um, so underdosing Beers Criteria. Um, compared to the FDA labeled package, the Beers Criteria gives us an entire different set of breakpoints for when we need to renally dose. Um, I think the Beers Criteria table as kind of being a protective factor, if you will, for geriatrics. So um, it is helping us um, have some room in those patients that um, might be very extreme of age, very extreme um, scenarios, um, and it will allow us evidence behind us to renally dose when otherwise the package insert would not um, necessarily put that patient into that category. End-stage chronic kidney disease, Warfarin or fixidan. Um, if the patient has end-stage uh, renal disease or is on dialysis. Um, and we know that we definitely need to avoid trans Riveroxaban, and Nidroxaban. So dialysis patients, later stage kidney disease, always take Moving on to weight, um, we have this one study here. Um, it was a cohort study in patients with AFib, um, underweight patients, 62. and this is done in Korea. We had DOAX versus warfarin, um, and across the board, as you can see, uh, warfarin in the blue line, and doax um, cumulatively um, represented by the red line there. Um, DOACs Lead, major bleeding, all death. Only in cohort analysis, so the, um, the study design um, kind of gives us a signal in the literature, not necessarily saying that this is um, like the best quality. For extremes of weight, we definitely have many of these patients. Um, and so the majority of trials that we had in, in, in the Phase 3 um, analysis of our DOACs um, really uh, stopped for the majority of patients, we have a very small population that were over 100 kilos. Um, and so guideline Juliet really advise against the use of DOACs if patients are more than 120 kilos or a BMI of greater than 40. Um, warfarin is going to be our drug of choice in that scenario. When we do have these extremes of weight, we may consider thinking about some of the drug absorption and some of the other testing that we can do. It's not something that we do very standardly, and those are all send out labs here. Um, but if we do have a need to use a DOAC in um, an extreme body weight, generally obese patient, um, we may consider monitoring. A few other just modifiable modifiable risk uh, factors to consider. So while we can renally dose and we we also need to think about the patient as a whole. And so controlling blood pressure, if the patient has labile labile, INRs, um, is that the patient that really should be taking um, warfarin? Does the patient um, have an alcohol mutant um, disorder? Do we have concomitant NSAIDs or an unnecessary aspirin on board, increasing their bleeding risk? Um, And then thinking about bleeding tendency as well as um, history of bleeding. When we think about cost, is always an issue for our patients. Um, And when you put them side by side, the agents pretty much look very similar with their daily cost. So about $17, $18 a day with the Doxaban um, being really expensive. However, just in the past two weeks, um, we do have a pixaban coming out as the first generic DOAC. Um, We have two manufacturers that have been approved to uh, manufacture that, uh, but they are not up and running yet. So we will see where that goes. drug-drug interactions. Um, when we think about drug-drug interactions with DOACs, I think of two mechanisms, peak lipoprotein and SIPP-450. Uh, uh, SIP so I'll just direct your attention to the right-hand side of the screen with the strong inducers. Uh, of course, we're going to be getting drug-drug interaction alerts for um, all of our prescribing. So these are the ones that I think we don't think about as often that we might see. So for the strong inducers, um, uh, these are going to decrease the concentration of the DOAC, so putting our patient more at risk for having stroke and systemic embolism. So putting them side by side, I have DOACs um, up at the top, and along the left-hand side we have commonly used agents that have kind of pulled out that have drug-drug interactions. Um, again, this literature is evolving, and we kind of need to, need to keep track of this. Um, we actually have very specific dosing recommendations when we do have drug-drug interactions. Um, there's mechanisms here, and it's a very busy table. So, um, what I want you to take home from this is feel free to go in check check micro-medics, um, for any of these drug-drug interactions because they are going to give you very specific dosing. And I even over the past few months have seen the dosing change. Um, what I want you to take away from this table um, is the anti. Carbonazepine and senatoin, um, those are ones for the commonly used DOACs, the bigotrim, and Apexaban. They actually have contraindications. Um, we've seen this on our service. We've seen um, you know, the decreases in concentrations that um, this interaction can cause, and stroke, actually, because of it in one of our patients. Um, so I think it's one that we just need to put on our radar a little bit more. Um, Bottom line, we need to think about renal and hepatic function monitoring. Recommendations right now are to do that at baseline and then annually thereafter. We need to think about monitoring weight as well as you know other bleeding risk factors and HH. And we really should be using caution when we're stopping or starting medication. A little over. Happy to take any questions.